everybody, and welcome to another episode of 28 Days Later. I'm your host, Sophie, joined as always by my beautiful co-host, Hannah. Hello, it's me. <laughs> I hope that you guys didn't miss us too much on our week off. We certainly missed you. Um, but we are back and ready to chat with you about uh, the 2020 version of The Grudge and all of its previous iterations. Sophie, I can't believe you did not just say we are back and ladier than ever. God damn it. <laughs> Pretend like I did. <laughs> uh, Hannah, how have you been since we last recorded? Uh, well, um, not getting su- not without getting super into it. I mean, part of why we didn't record last week was because I had a really tough week. Um, but new week and feeling a lot better, uh, so far. And I also just got a new computer, which is a completely different make than I'm used to. I've gone from a Mac to a Dell. You're a Windows lady now. How does it feel? Um, a little overwhelming right now because I'm really bad with technology. And so a switch of this magnitude is... A lot for me, but um, I feel good about it. I'm excited about it, but I also might click on things by accident during the course of this recording and make some noises. So I can't wait. <laughs> this is something you're gonna be like all too familiar with. Um, yeah, I'll be but, like, oh hey. I mean, I also am ha- a Mac. Have always been a Mac person, and I use a Windows computer for work now. And I feel like I can consistently will ask like the tech guy at our job a question about how to do something and I can tell that he thinks that it's a dumb question and I just want to be like you know what if you gave me a MacBook I could figure this out by myself but you didn't so here we are so here we are this is on you sir yeah (laughs) exactly um well I had some uh really interesting exchanges with the with the guy at Best Buy who was attempting to sell me a machine I had a lot of questions that I could tell he deemed uh undesirable he definitely didn't like the number of people I had to call to make, like, a basic decision. Hey, you know what? You're making a big investment, and you want to make sure that you know what you're doing. And you're not going to, like, take the word of the guy at Best Buy who's like, I'm going to sell you the most expensive thing in here. Yeah. Well, so, how are you? Um, I've been doing really good. I was going to say that since the last time we recorded our podcast... You and I got to be guests on a different podcast, and I should say off the bat that we had some technical recording difficulties, so that episode may never see the light of day, but I hope to God it does because it was a delight. Um, We were on Friends of the Show, Valeska and Andrew have a really awesome podcast called Milkshakes and Mimosas that's all about the TV show Riverdale, and they sort of use that as an avenue to discuss all kinds of other things that tangentially relate to characters in the Riverdale universe or actors that are in the Riverdale TV show or old Archie comics. It's a great listen if you're a fan of any of those things. Um, And they had us on to talk about Hustlers, which stars, uh, I will not remember her name, Lily Reinhold, maybe, who plays Betty on Riverdale, um, who was also in Hustlers. And that was absolutely delightful to record. Yeah, I mean, fingers crossed, it actually comes out. (laughs) It was great because we didn't know this at the time, but Hannah was on a computer that was actively dying. (laughs) And so, like, she couldn't see the screen. And also, um, she sounded super robot-y. And the good thing about the podcast recorder that we use is, like, it records locally. So it doesn't really matter what we're hearing because it's recording Hannah on her machine. But it was great because whenever, like, I don't know if you noticed, Hannah, but, like, whenever you'd stop talking, Andrew would be say something vague, like, yeah, that's a great point, because, like, none of us could tell what you were saying. And so, like, <laughs> he would be like, that's a great point, Hannah. Anybody else have anything they want to say? Oh, boy. Yeah. There was, like, a lot of times, too, where there were long pauses where I was like, I wonder if everyone's talking and I can't hear it or no one could hear me when I was talking. <laughs> As someone who is, like, a newly minted podcast host, Uh, That nothing like that made me respect Andrew so much because I was like, if I were Andrew, I would be like crying in a corner and he just like navigated everything very smoothly and did a great job. So I hope you guys get to hear the episode because it was great. Um, And if you don't and haven't seen the movie, you should really go watch Hustlers because it's delightful. Um, Have you been to brunch since we last talked, Hannah? Um, I'm having to go back a little ways. 
Um, I don't think so. Um, well, because I did, uh, as you know, I made a decision um, to take a little little break from drinking. Yeah, um, doing dry January. So everyone keeps telling me that that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, all my roommates, uh, well, so one of my roommates is a wine buyer, and he came home with no joke, like ten bottles of wine today, <laughs> rare <laughs> bottles of wine. So he's like, he was like literally like laying them all out. He's like, it's everybody's lucky day. The wine on this bar right now, these like ten bottles, is probably like four thousand dollars worth of wine. Holy crap! Yeah, and he's like, we're gonna drink it, and I was like, uh. <laughs> Hannah, um, I don't want to be a bad influence, but I feel like you can bend your, like, drinking break for something like that. Right? Well, so I did have one glass. I asked him. I was like, okay, I'm going to have one glass of one wine. Which one should I try? There you go. Um, But when I said I wasn't drinking, everyone was like, oh, that's so basic. Like, oh, I can't believe you're just going to be one of those normies and do dry January. And I was like, I don't know. Ugh. I didn't know that was a thing. Um, I was like, I made a personal choice. <laughs> yeah, you're just like trying a thing that's health related. It doesn't need, people don't need to be, have a feeling about it. Yeah. It is what it is. Um, I basically decided like, I've had an idea in mind for a while that I'd like to just like try to take a beat on alcohol for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and January to me was like, oh, this is great because there's no like holidays really that I have to worry about. Um... And it's cold in Chicago right now, so no one's doing anything. So it's like I can really hermit up and, like, just drink right. a lot of tea and it feels right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, like, today I was going to go to um, a bar after work because I had, uh, like, some stuff I need to work on on my computer. And I was like, oh, I can just go get, like, I was, like, looking at happy hours on my phone. I was like, where can I go where I can, like, use the internet and be comfortable and warm, but also maybe get, like, a good beer? And then I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. So it's definitely weird. Like, it is sort of ingrained in. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny, isn't it, how it, like, changes the way that you, like, approach things. So I – this is uh, similar but different. I've mentioned on the podcast that for January I'm going to uh, – I've been not eating meat just because um, my boyfriend is vegetarian and I feel like – I don't eat a ton of meat as compared to like the general population, but I think because Jeremy is vegetarian, um, whenever we go out, I sort of like skip over the vegetarian stuff by default because I never get to eat meat at home. So I'm like, okay, well I have to have, and I only eat like chicken and turkey as it is. Yeah. So I'm always like zoned in on whatever the chicken thing is on any given menu. Um, so it's been a really good experience. I feel like I've always told people like, oh, I could, I, the only reason I eat chicken and turkey is like, I could never go vegetarian. Um, so it's a good reminder that like, even if I don't go vegetarian, I could eat the vegetarian options more often. Yeah. Um, but it has been funny cause like earlier today, um, I'm traveling for work and so I'm staying in a hotel that's like a, um, sweet style hotel where like an extended stay kind of place where there's like a kitchen. And so I was like, oh, I'll just go get something, like, small that I can, like, a frozen thing I can reheat in my room when I get hungry. And I was looking at all these things. I'm like, oh, all these have meat. Like, I need to try to, like, think of a different thing. Um, So it's been interesting. But I want to take a moment to just, like, point out the fact that since we last recorded, you have not been to brunch. But I have. And this never happens. (laughs) So I'm going to just sit in it for a second. So... Um, our very dear friends, Matt and Jamie, um, Jamie's parents were visiting over the weekend this past weekend. And so Jeremy and I went to brunch with them and we went to this really nice, uh, little, uh, kind of like vegetarian or like vegetable based seasonal kind of like foofy, but in a way that felt accessible and not kind of like goofy, mm-hmm. um, place for brunch. And it was delightful, but it was really funny because we were going, Um, this past weekend, Kansas city got hit by a really big snowstorm. So like overnight, Friday night, it rained and then the temperatures plummeted. So it was super icy. And then starting at like 10 AM, it was snowing on top of the ice. 
So our other friends that were supposed to come to brunch canceled because they were just like, no, the roads are terrible. Yeah, so, they were like, are you joking? <laughs> yeah, so Jeremy and I went to brunch. He drove because he's a champ, and we drove very, very slowly. But it was funny because we went to brunch, and this place had a lot of, like, cold-pressed juice kind of situations. So, like, we both had, like, a juice, but we were both like, yeah, we probably don't need to drink with this uh, the road being what it is. <laughs> so <laughs> we waited until we got home. But... Um, Jeremy decided this week to surprise me with this is not brunch related but I had to share because it's a huge accomplishment for me as a human being and that is non-missionary that, sex oh how dare you like, <laughs> not a new thing um but like way to go Jeremy keeping the <laughs> romance alive <laughs> keeping it spicy into the 30s no um <laughs> No, it was, uh, so people who know me well may know that for most of my uh, adult life that I've been of legal drinking age, I have not enjoyed tequila. Enjoying tequila was something that took a lot of work and has only come in the last year or so. And the reason for that is I had a very bad experience with tequila when I was a senior in high school. And that very bad experience had to do with tequila sunrise. And so even though I appreciate tequila now, that's a drink that I like actively avoid because um, <laughs> I'm just like too many bad memories. Um, but this week, Jeremy like went out and got us some really nice tequila and like really good orange juice and was like, I'm going to make us tequila sunrises. And I was very skeptical. Um, and it was delightful. It, uh, it turns out that if you drink a tequila sunrise where it's not 90% tequila, it tastes pretty good, and you don't wish you were dead the next day. So they're actually uh, a perfectly delightful drink that I'm glad I have now tasted. You heard it here <laughs> first, ladies and gentlemen. Cocktails are better when they're not made by teenagers. Yeah, by teenagers <laughs> who are, like, actively trying to bully you. Like, my friend, or maybe not bully, that might be too harsh, but, like, prank you. Like Sophie, you were bullied. My friend. <laughs> no, we've we have accepted that I was bullied in high school, but this is a different thing, which is that like a dear friend of mine. You know when you're in high school and people are like, "Oh my god, it's like so funny when you prank somebody with alcohol," because you don't have any concept of like the way that alcohol is going to affect your body. And so I had a friend that I had never had tequila before, and he was like, "Oh, I'm not drinking tonight. I'm just going to be bartender," and he made me a tequila sunrise. And I drank the whole thing, and I, like, didn't like the taste of it, but you're in high school, and you don't like the taste of anything because it's alcohol mm -hmm. and it's bad. And then I did a shot of tequila, and I was like, oh, this tastes exactly like the cocktail I just had. And my friend started laughing and basically confessed that he had given me a solo cup that was, like, more than half full of just tequila with, like, a splash Ooh. of orange juice. And I'm imagining this is, like, warm tequila that someone, like, pulled out. From under the seat it was of their ice. mom's car. It was on ice. We were not monsters. Okay, well, that's good at least. It was like the cheapest, worst tequila you could imagine with like Tropicana orange juice and store-bought grenadine kind of stuff. Um, well, in a... Wait, and did you puke? No, I, I like never barf when I drink, so... But I just like had <sighs> the worst hangover of my life the next day. Well, well, well. <laughs> <laughs> that is a gene that we do not share. <laughs> Um, but I was going to say, uh, a great, just a quick and great high school drinking story, uh, that I have with a friend of mine who will remain nameless. Um, <laughs> as they should, let's not name names here. But, uh, we went to a party together, um, and it was on someone's, uh, like farm. So everyone would like pull up their cars and park at the bottom of this hill and you like walk to the farm land I don't you know it was ridiculous um this is ridiculous also just by you describing it I'm pretty sure I know who it is <laughs> <laughs> um well no it's not the person whose house it was but I mean I'm sure you will know who this is but whatever anyway um we get there and my friend was very excited to just like get the party started and it was right after um Pond was getting really popular oh yeah um in 2011, and uh, so we got there, and I drove, so we got out of the car, and we were like, we're going to pregame this party that we are already at, at the bottom of the hill, instead of just, like, walking up the hill and going to this party like normal oh people. Oh, God, yeah. So we took the alcohol that we had brought with us, and we, like, chugged it, and then we went 
uh, up to, like, the actual party, and as we're rolling up, someone starts blasting Ponda Floor, knowing it is my friend's jam. So my friend goes absolutely, like, apeshit and loves it. Does an amazing, like, almost looks like a choreographed dance, and then immediately disappears. <laughs> and everyone's like, where did they go? Where did they go? Where did they go? So I'm like, this is my friend. This is my responsibility. So I walk around looking for them for a little while. Eventually I come upon them sitting on an adjacent hill, quietly alone in the darkness. Oh, no. And basically my friend was like, I feel terrible. Like, I don't feel good. I feel sick. And I was like, I think because you chugged a bunch of alcohol and then danced like... No one was watching. Oh, boy. I mean, I'm trying to think of, like, a <laughs> accurate thing to, like, it was as if they just chugged a bunch of alcohol and then did the entire dance routine from, like, single ladies music. Oh, anyway. yes. So, but even more vigorous. Um, so I was like, you need to throw up. <laughs> and then you'll feel better. And my friend was like, I don't know if I can. Oh, no. And I was like, I love you. And they were like, I love you too. Um, I know where the story is going. And I just rubbed their oh, back yeah. and uh, put my hand in their mouth. And I did what needed to be done for my friend. That's a beautiful thing to do for a friend. And God damn it, if we weren't back out in that field like 10 minutes later and they were dancing like an insane person. Yeah, that's perfect. Yet um, again. <laughs> what's hilarious is the same friend that ruined tequila for me uh, also ruined Doritos for me, and that will just remain ruined, and it's fine. Um, but that was Yeah, they may have done you a favor in that. Yeah, friend. they got too drunk and barfed Doritos on themselves, and I had to clean it up, and I have not eaten a Dorito since. <laughs> so anyway, look at these beautiful stories we're telling. It's just great. Um, <laughs> shall we get into like what we're actually talking about for this week uh, you know what I guess but I'll tell you what I know we disagree on this somewhat but like I would rather <laughs> talk about high schoolers barfing up cheap liquor than Hannah, you say that, this but, like, movie I think I might turn you around because I don't want to oversell it but I have done so much research and I'm excited to talk about this oh my god Classic, classic Sophie. We had like a week <laughs> off. You're like, I can't just sit here and twiddle my thumbs. To be fair, I did all the research before our initial record date. Oh my God. <laughs> um, just so had to we, slide that in there. We are recording. Or <laughs> For we the are record, recording. if this assignment had happened on time, I would have passed with flying colors. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're recording this week on the new version of The Grudge. So folks might have seen trailers for this and been like, wait, what? This is a movie in 2004 with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Or if you are a horror fan, you might have thought, wait, there was a Japanese version of this years and years ago. So I'm here to tell you that in preparation for going to see the 2020 Grudge, not only did I rewatch the 2004 version, which was the first horror movie I ever saw in theaters and one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. <laughs> um, do you still I, feel that way? No, I do not. But we'll get into it. Um, but I also watched for the first time the Japanese version, Juwan, The Grudge, which I had never seen. Um, so how would you like to approach this, Hannah? Would you like me to sort of like give my fun spiel on the first two and then talk about the new one? Or do you want to start with the new one and I can like tie my stuff in as we go? Um, I mean, I guess maybe tying it in as we go because I feel like I have a lot of questions yeah okay, so um, let's, about this let's most recent it. one and maybe that will help answer some of these questions that I have yeah because okay, I came so, at it cold like I had no yeah. I haven't seen any of the other ones I which no I think is kind of, of an it. interesting way to discuss it so before we start let me just say that the new movie um is a direct sequel to the 2004 American remake and so we get um, most of the movie takes place in 2006, but as is common in the franchise, the, the story is told mostly in a non-linear way where we're kind of like jumping back and forth between different storylines, which is how most of the Grudge movies happen. Um, this one starts with a woman who is clearly American. It's 2004, which is when the first movie takes place, um, the American movie. 
and she comes out of the house that people who have seen either Juwan or The Grudge will recognize as the house where the grudge originates. She comes outside, she calls a woman named Yoko, who if you've seen the 2004 version, um, it, she uh, suffers a really unfortunate fate of being killed by Kayako's ghost and having her like lower jaw ripped off. Um, so you see this woman call Yoko, who is a home like nurse aide and say like, Hey, I'm going to have to go back to the States earlier than I anticipated. Um, and you can tell that she's kind of like creeped out and something is wrong. And obviously if you've seen the other movies, like the impression is like, she got kind of a taste of the weird spooky stuff in the house. And so she wants to leave. She goes back to the States. Then it jumps forward to 2006 and we learn that when she came home, she, uh, she murdered her family and then committed suicide. And then in that house where she lived, there have been a number of other like weird murders and or suicides since she came back. And so the rest of the movie mostly follows a um, police detective who's new to this town named Detective Muldoon. She is a widow, a widower. Detective um, Mandy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Jerry and I were like, why do we recognize her? Because she looks so different, but she is phenomenal in this movie. Um, And Mm -hmm. so most of the movie, a lot of the movie is sort of like we're following her investigating all these old cases that have happened in this house in the last couple of years and trying to sort of tie them together. So that's where we are with this movie. Um, But Hannah, tell me about your experience seeing this, because as you said, you came in cold. and As you've sort of spoiled, you were not a fan. (laughs) Yes. So... Um, I'm glad that you explained that to me because I didn't know any of that, um, nor was that uh, explained, like, at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew from uh, you coming home after you saw your first horror movie in theaters when we shared a room um, as children, or rather you were a teenager, I was still a child, um, I feel like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was in ninth grade, so you would have been a fifth grader? Yeah. So I remember you coming home and being like, I just saw the the scariest movie ever. Let me tell you everything that happens in it. (laughs) Um, And so I remember you telling me about, like, all the scares, and, I mean, I remember the jaw removal situation. Um, It's crazy that you remember that because I actually, in the scene in the original, in the 2004 version where they reveal that happened, like where they reveal her face, I covered my eyes. I didn't actually see that scene until like two years ago. <laughs> oh my God. Well, yeah, so I was aware of so much of that and I and I knew like the whole plot from you explaining it to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I know like in that movie that they explain, you know, that there was like a, like the, where the grudge like originated from. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, this whole movie, I did not know it was a sequel. So I thought it was setting itself up as its own thing. Sure. So the whole time I was waiting for them to explain to me, like, where this was stemming from. Right. That's totally um, fair. Which did not happen. Um, and even at the end, there was a part where, like, the ghost was like, let me show you. But it wasn't like it showed any... Thing that was a revelation it was just like i'm just gonna show you what it looked like when i killed them right um which to be fair is a tie-in to the the original movie juan and in the grudge and i think especially in the grudge i'm trying to remember enough it happens as much in juan it happens in the grudge where like um karen who is sarah michelle geller like goes to the house and she knows something bad's happening and she sort of has an idea about how kayako died but she like walks in the house and then she sees all the events of the day that the deaths happened and she's like walking through them. So I think they were trying to do a callback to that, but you're right. They're not giving you information that you didn't have, which I think like they are a little bit more into the 2004 version. Also in that version, it like is a lot more um, just like heavy. Even if you knew what was, what had happened, it's like heavy to see it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So I, Um, I mean, to me, I really, I liked the beginning part because I thought that the scare of like the breathing trash bag. Oh my God. It was so good. was actually really good. And it, and it reminded me of like the, um, the bag scene in audition. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I was seeing that and seeing like more like a reference to another like 
classic Asian horror film. And I was kind of like, okay, like I like where we're going with this. And then I pretty much hated everything else after that. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I should say off the bat that like, um, so I don't know if you had seen this before seeing the movie, but this movie got an F on CinemaScore. Um, and it, it's only the 20th movie ever to get that rating. Wow. And I should say, like, let me start off by saying that, like, I did not think that this version of The Grudge was very good. Mm-hmm. I don't think it deserved an F. Like, there are, I have seen way too many, like, terrible theatrical release horror movies to think that this was deserving of an F. Um, like, I'm going to have was, to say I agree. This movie was really interesting to me because, so it's directed by um, Nicholas, I think it's pronounced Pe- Pesh. I'm not certain. Um, but he directed The Eyes of My Mother, which is a really phenomenal horror movie from a couple years ago. And he also directed Piercing, which I have not yet seen, but I've heard good things about. And I feel like I didn't know, I had forgotten he did direct it when we watched it. And I remember walking out and being like, this is a really weird movie because it felt like it was well directed. Like a lot of the scenes, like it, I think it builds tension pretty well. And there's some really cool, like, establishing shots that I enjoyed. Um, and, like, the way it's shot is cool. But I think that, like, overall, my, my like, summation of this movie would be that overall, like, I think the storyline is mostly convoluted. I think that they use way too much CGI. Um, yeah. And, and I think, like, my biggest complaint is that, like, the way that the ghosts, look is just like super basic so if you've even if you've never seen the grudge like if you've seen a poster of any of the grudge movies the way that the ghosts look in those movies is super iconic and distinctive they are their skin is incredibly white yeah they have like black eyeliner and their you know kayako's hair is super long toshio the little boy has shorter hair but you have this like really stark contrast of like white white skin and black hair that's super iconic. And I felt like the ghosts in this. They look more like, like the dead people brought back to life in like Pet Cemetery. Yeah, they just look like any ghost in any other like uh, like Blumhouse movie. And I like I found that to be sort of like the most bummer part for me. Um, because I feel like they just like didn't need I and I think part of it too is like you lose a little bit, like setting this all in America, you lose a little bit of the folklore. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm going to take a moment to dive into some nerdiness, and I should say off the bat that um, I have no idea if any of these, like, Japanese pronunciations are right, so I apologize in advance because I'm sure they're not. Um, but, w- like, when you have the original movie or even the 2004 movie, those are both set in Japan. Right. Um, and so you sort of have this, like, cultural setting where, um, and I'm going to read this from Wikipedia, it says that according to traditional Japanese beliefs, all humans have a spirit or a soul, which is called a Raikon. When a person dies, the soul leaves the body and enters a form of purgatory where it waits for a proper funeral and post-funeral rites to be performed. And then after that happens, the spirit is able to like rejoin and check in on the family to sort of like offer protection, um, and they're sort of like a benevolent spirit. But the idea is that if a person dies suddenly or violently um, and the proper rites are not performed, then they like what can be created is called a URI, which is like a which is a vengeful spirit. Um, And and it talks about how like in Japanese folklore, the idea of a URI like being having like matted black hair and being in a white in white clothing because that's what like someone would be buried in and things like that. Um, And so I feel like you have this like really interesting folklore and it's not as though we don't have ghosts like people in western cultures like talk about ghosts or like unfinished business and things like that but i think like you lose a lot when you remove this story from japan and from the folklore where it's based yeah um and that was that really bummed me out because ultimately i felt like this didn't need to be a grudge movie this just could have been a ghost movie it didn't like it didn't feel like it earned being part of the franchise. Yeah, well, and I mean, I mean, also in a similar vein, I famously refuse to do ghost movies because I'm actually scared of ghosts. Right. Um, and this movie never even really felt like a ghost movie to me. Right. 
Yeah. So it didn't freak me out at all because I was just like, yeah. And I also, um, like, a lot of it, uh, I kept thinking, like, but why? Like, why is this happening? Right. <laughs> why Why do they care? Like, what's going on? And it really wasn't explained. And then I guess, like, a huge question I have about the other films, um, because you also say, like, you liked the directing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not. Okay. Uh, because it seemed to me like no one reacted to anything that was happening to them. Okay. And I'm wondering if, like, other if the other movies are like that too, um, if that's, like, part of the, like, ambiance of the films, um, or if that was a choice. Like, I would say aside from the scene in the basement where Detective Mandy... Um, <laughs> is like actively being pursued by a ghost for an extended period of time. And she actually freaks out for other than that. Everybody has a lot of things happen to them that are like really fucking weird or scary. And they just like do really wide eyes and breathe heavy, but they don't scream. They don't panic when it's over. They're like, well, that was weird. I mean, like John Cho feels a hand in the back of his head and just looks out, looks around his shower and then goes to bed. Right, right. Yeah, so I don't, I think like part of it is that in the, one thing that makes it difficult I think in this movie is that like you are following multiple storylines at the same time. So like in the original movie Juwan, that's very similar where there's like a lot of storylines that are kind of like overlapping and you're watching them sort of like out of sync. Um, in the 2004 version, Sarah Michelle Gellar, you're sort of like following her for the majority of the movie. And some of the story happens like non-linearly, non-linearly, but she is still like your focal point. And so even when you're like seeing characters that are not her or whatever, like you know how they relate to her. Um, And so like, I think that makes a huge difference. I think it is hard to like, there's a very similar scene in the 2004 version where Sarah Michelle Gellar is in the shower. It's like a famous scene and the hand. Right. I knew that. Yeah. And I think it probably goes similarly where she like goes to bed, but like you're also following her for longer. So you're seeing the like cumulative effects of these weird things happening. And I think like we don't spend enough time with any of the characters except maybe detective Mandy to see like the cumulative effect of this stuff, freaking them out. I guess there's that one detective we see, who, like, isn't in an asylum now because he's so freaked out. But we basically, like, meet him when he's there. Yeah. So, like, you lose you lose sort of getting to see, like, the way that people, um, that people, like, kind of deteriorate over time. The other thing yeah, is that... Yeah, I mean, like, uh, the one couple, the elderly couple who we haven't really touched on yet... Yeah, Lynn Shea and her husband. Yeah. Um, with that, when the caretaker or, like... Uh, assisted suicide aid uh, says something about the ghost, the husband's like, oh, you saw the ghost too? <laughs> yeah. Well, He's but like, it, it's comforting because maybe she'll still be here like when she dies. And it's right. like, yeah, but the, we have not seen those go- those ghosts be comforting right. at all. Although like, it there's seems a, like at that point he like I don't know if he just, like, thinks that they're bad because of what happened to them. I don't know. But, yeah, that part was weird for me, too. I was like, that's a lot. Yeah. And, yeah, it it was insane to me. And then also Jackie Weaver, who I love dearly um, and who I actually thought was actually a highlight for me in the movie just because. Is she the assistant suicide woman? Yeah. She was amazing. I think she's such a good actress. And it's like she could take a role like that that had very little going on. And Mm -hmm. I still felt like she made it. Like, it was a little bit comical, which I liked. And I felt like she actually, like, made a character out of that part that otherwise really wouldn't have had much. Um, But even her character, like, she freaks out about the ghosts. But then even after the husband acknowledges that, like, yeah, there are ghosts, and he's just kind of like, yeah, there's ghosts, whatever, she doesn't even leave until, like, the next day. Yeah, I would have been out of there. And, like, like, (laughs) she's like, oh, I'm going to go to the store. And then, like, she sees the man on the front yard, and she's like, yeah, I guess all of this is fine and normal. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, all that was insane. And, like, um, 
who is it? The the Squar brothers on their podcast, uh, Dumb People Town, mm-hmm. have a running joke that they bring up like several times on that podcast that I love, where they're where they talk about horror movies in the way that people react, specifically in like haunting movies, right? Where it's like how much realistically would it take for you in a situation like that to be like, peace out. And their joke is the one brother is always like, if I came into a ki- into my kitchen and a drawer was open that I didn't open, I would sell my house. <laughs> <laughs> so, and like, I love that. And, and I feel like with, um, with that movie, there were so many things that I'm like, why are you still there? Yeah. Or like, why aren't you, reacting to this more and I think that there's a degree of that in any horror movie really yeah um, especially ghosty stuff which I know is especially not really ghost, your jam yeah but it's like they have to you know obviously like you have to there's added suspension of disbelief because they need to keep the protagonist in the story or keep right. them in the house or whatever um, but in this movie I was just like what is happening like everyone's acting way too calm about this like, at and, a certain point when John Cho is, like, sitting with the ghost daughter, and he doesn't know she's a ghost yet, but, like, he's sitting with her in this house where her parents, like, have not been home all day. He's just been, like, sitting there with her alone. As far as he knows, like, she's, she's still alive. She's wet. And the kids are she's not there. She's wet, and she has not dried in yeah. what is supposedly hours. And then he... But, like, the fact that you wouldn't, like, call social services or, like... He just, like, sits there with her for literally the entire day. And she's also, not speaking because she's got water in her mouth yeah I think it's like so a huge thing for me with this movie was I thought that John Cho and Betty Gilpin were phenomenal I wanted to like watch I would have happily like cut their storyline out of this so I could have a rom-com of like the beginning of their relationship because like (laughs) their I thought their chemistry chemistry was delightful even a drama about the stuff that they were facing with their child yeah. like would have been, been a better I would have been into it. A welcomed film. Um but if you're someone who's out there and you have not seen this movie, um don't get your hopes up. John Cho is not in this movie that much like Right, which I was, I also was like very disappointed. This. Yeah, I was about. like sold in this movie because of John Cho and then I was like wow, he's really not in it that much. Um, I was like this movie needed a lot more John Cho acting a lot more John Cho biceps. To keep me invested. Also, just like John like, Cho's perfectly coiffed hair and his ugh. glasses. I just I have a lot of thoughts. Also, just like John Cho comforting Betty Gilpin. I could have watched that for days. Like, when she was like, so when he asked her if she wanted to talk about what they had heard at the doctor's office. And then she was like, she kind of said something that was like suggesting, you know, in a typical, norm, like a more stereotypical male fashion, he wouldn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And he like drops his fork. And he's like, no, I do want to talk about it. Oh. <laughs> he was like, I want to know how you're feeling so I can tell you how I'm feeling. And I was like, oh my God. Fans of the podcast <laughs> may not know that John Cho is like Hannah's one true love. So uh, I have been, I <laughs> have had such a crush on him since I think I was like nine years old. Like, this is a long running. John Cho is your Joshua Jackson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, I feel like my very first crushes were Tom Hanks and, uh, like, Will Smith. Oh, I mean, who but I like them. love with Will Smith? Oh, of course. Um, but I feel like I was so young when I loved him. I loved him for, like, his charisma. Mm-hmm. And I feel like John Cho was one of the first actors that I was, like, actually like oh i'm sexually attracted to this person (laughs) i don't just want to marry them because i think they're like they seem like a nice guy right (laughs) well here's the thing i want to talk about about with this movie and like this may be different for you having not seen the other two movies but like a thing that i had a real issue with in this film um and i should say i don't just mean the other two movies because we took a week an extra week i ended up watching the grudge two and three the american sequels to the american remake um i've still not you just want to make me look so bad no i just like (laughs) i guess i should say right right off the bat that like so we talked up front about how i saw the 2004 version in theaters as a freshman in high school and i was pretty late coming into horror so it was my first horror film in theaters. It scared the ever-living shit out of me. And um, and I couldn't, like, even see a poster for it or hear the noise or anything for years. And then when I was in college... Sure didn't stop in, me from doing it for years. Yeah, as a senior in college, 
I watched it again with friends and I was like, okay, um, it's going to be interesting now that I like horror movies to see how I respond to this movie. And I had the experience watching it then that like I could recognize like intellectually that it was not as scary as I remembered it being, but it still scared the crap out of me from like a visceral memory perspective. And so when Jeremy and I rewatched it a couple weeks ago, I was ready for that to be the case. And I had this really lovely experience where I was like, yeah, this movie didn't scare me as much this on the rewatch as it did the first two times. I can appreciate that it's a really, that it's a pretty good movie and like it holds up. There's still a lot of parts that I think the tension is really good and the scares are good, but I was able to watch it. So watching two and three was more just me being like, wow, I can't believe I am able to watch these. Cause like I used to not even be able to see the posters without just like having nightmares for days. <laughs> so, yeah. It was more like one a personal those... achievement than anything else. What's one of those for me is the episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, I Only Have Eyes for You. Oh, yeah. I just remember that episode scaring me so much when I first watched it when I was in, like, fourth grade Mm -hmm. that I've watched it countless times as an adult, and I still have to, like, cover my eyes. You know the episode I'm talking about? Yes, of course I do. Yeah, when they, like... That the part where she's watching them dance in the band room and when yeah they because turn around, um what's his name from Harper's Island plays the student Henry yeah Henry. he turns around his face is all like decayed and like scary mm-hmm. it scared me so much I still have to cover my eyes when I watch it even now <laughs> well speaking do you know of who Buffy, else is in that episode who's in that episode who John Hawks oh shit yeah he plays the uh, janitor at the beginning. Well, speaking of great Buffy tie-ins, since you have not seen the 2004 version, I wanted to let you know that this, like, fun piece of Buffy trivia. So Jason Bear, who was the lead on Roswell, um, he was in an episode of Buffy. I'm sure you remember he, yes. played, he played Billy. The guy who wanted to be turned into a vampire. Yeah, because he had a brain tumor. It was very sad. Um, so he plays her boyfriend in The Grudge. And in the, like, actor's commentary, she, like, talks about, or in the in the commentary, it's, like, her, him, Sam Raimi, who produced it, um, one of the other producers, and a couple other actors. And, like, she's mentioning, like, oh, and Jason and I met when he was on Buffy. Clea Duvall is also in that movie. And oh, and she, she was, was the invisible girl. And she was, like, I was also in Buffy, but... Sarah Michelle Gellar did not remember because they were never actually in a scene together because she plays an invisible person. And the only scene where we see her is when the FBI or CIA comes to get her. So, Oh, wow. Um, so, so Sarah Michelle Gellar had never actually met her, but they both were in Buffy. So That's funny. funny. <laughs> for her, especially for her being like, I was in the episode about the girl who became invisible. Yeah. Because no she one was knew like, who was she was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want to give a couple quick shout outs to like the idea that um, I want to like, I want to shout out the 2004 version of this movie because I really do have like a newfound appreciation for it having watched it recently um, and having seen the original Japanese movie, which I had I'd always been too scared to watch. Um, but it's a really cool story if you are a horror fan, because um, so the original Juwan is actually the third installment in a series so it was a lot of low budget films and shorts and then Juwan came out in 2000 I believe um and it it uh, it very much like the American version had multiple storylines but it was still sort of focused on the central storyline of this woman and young boy who the husband murdered the wife and then the son in sort of like a jealous rage that um that was consistent in that first movie Mm -hmm. um but what you have is that in, in this case, which like had not, as far as I know, had not happened before, at least not on the scale that it happens for this movie, is that um, Sam Raimi saw Juan and was like, this is amazing. And I think that it could like get a lot of traction in the U.S. So he helped get the American remake greenlit. And he, the writer-director Takashi Shimizu... Um, Sam Raimi like had him come and write and direct the new one. And so the, it was really cool to sort of like see the same creator get to work on a new version of the movie instead of having like an American person be like, this is my interpretation of this other thing. Um, and this director got to have like a way bigger budget and sort of talked about the idea that like 
he got to um, sort of like fix things that he didn't like about his first movie and just like explore different things because he had a way bigger budget to work with. Um, and I think that's really cool. And he, he ended up doing the grudge to um, American version as well. Um, but I, I sort of liked the idea that Sam Raimi saw this, this foreign film and was like, I really like this. This director has like cool things to say and I want this to be more broadly available um, in the U.S. And the, the Japanese version is very low budget, so it's cool to kind of see that get um, a broader audience. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, like I'm a little disappointed, I feel like, because I feel like I've heard good things about the other movies. Yeah. And just from them being sort of famous within your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was really hopeful for this to be, like, a good introduction to it for me. Yeah. And instead I was just, like, angry. Like, I left the theater mad because, to me, one of the most, like, offensive things that a film can do is be boring. And I found this movie so boring. Yeah. And actually, like, two or three people walked out of our theater I mean, I think that's fair. I had such a hard time with this movie because, like I said, I think that if this movie had just been released, and I, I, I don't, I hate when people make this argument, and we're going to talk later about someone making this argument about a different movie, but like, I think if this movie had been released without the moniker, The Grudge, it may have done better. Like, mm-hmm. but I also just think it didn't need to be like The Grudge movies, like, famously up until the like, straight to DVD um, sequels, like were very, very low CGI, like mostly practical effects. And I feel like this movie, like the CGI was really distracting. The ghosts did not have any kind of like interesting look to them. I also felt like, and we haven't really touched on this, but I felt like this movie like reveled in the violence in a way that I didn't like. Yeah. Um, like the violence is super overpowering. When they showed the when they showed the mom drowning her daughter, yeah, which is one thing, but they also made a point to slow mo show her slamming her head into the bottom of the tub. So she bleeds. Yeah, it was I was super like, upsetting. We don't need, you don't need that. Yeah. Well, and like spoiler for the movie, but like when Lin Shay, like I guess. Ugh. being provoked by the ghost commits suicide like Jeremy and I had re- Jeremy and I went to see it together and we had really different reads of that scene like Jeremy was like I actually didn't have a huge problem with that kill only because like Lin Shay is such a legend legend in the genre that like for me I feel like it was really fun for her to like get to do this scene where she just like basically like explodes yeah um, but like for me a lot of the, most if not all of the like deaths in the grudge are more like suggested where people like disappear or they just go crazy. And then like the scene with the jaw, like with Yoko, like it doesn't happen on screen. Like, yeah, we see her face afterwards and it's like, it's terrifying, but there's like a level of violence that's removed from that. If that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like, so I just like, I, I didn't like how much this movie seemed to like enjoy like sort of like sitting in the like goop for, yeah. for lack of a better way to put it. Yeah, I want and I think it also is one of those things where it starts to feel like cheap if you're not um because I didn't think there was enough character development to really care about any of the characters. Right. Like um, I totally and, and forgot also, that Detective Mandy had a son until they were like, Don't forget she has a yeah. son like an hour later. And I was like, yeah. Oh right. And because it, yeah, so and like we were saying uh my friend that I went to see it with, like we were saying that no one was reacting to anything and no one had any character. So I was like, why do I care? Like, why should I care about anyone or what's happening to them? And to me, a lot of that, like, just like going the extra mile for the violence without earning it. Right. Feels like a cheap way to try to like keep the movie interesting or keep the movie edgy when it's not engaging you in other ways. Yeah, well, so something I wondered about the film with the storylines, like, feeling unfinished or, like, not full is I also, I don't know if you noticed, but I noticed um, a couple of scenes where uh, the continuity was really messed up or mm. um, 
Detective Mandy straight up had a different hairdo in some scenes. Oh, shoot. I did not notice that. Okay, so it bothered me so much. Um... Well, for one thing, the first scene of the movie and the last scene of the movie, they're wearing the exact same outfits in both episode or in both scenes, the kids getting ready for school in the morning. Uh-huh. So those were clearly shot at the same time and oh, they no. did not think to like change their clothes or do anything. <laughs> right. Also, every single time she was looking at the file in the break room, which was supposed to be three different days, she was wearing the exact same thing. So they also clearly just reused the same <laughs> footage or just cut it up and did it that way but um so her character has a very distinct haircut where it's shaved on the sides Mm -hmm. and then like kind of long and choppy on the top and in the back so there were a couple scenes where her hair was long and they just bobby pinned it on the side oh i did not notice that which i noticed and it like it stuck out like a sore thumb to me and it Really bothered me, um, but also made me wonder if there was studio involvement in some kind of recutting of the sure. film. Yeah, the or way if they that made them cut, do like, does not make a lot of sense. Even for yeah, the, it to be nonlinear, it like really there are parts. Yeah, where the it's hard cuts to are really weird, and like the, um, you know, it's like not uncommon for films to have to do that if it doesn't do well or like right. Just for whatever reason, if, if they have to do reshoots where someone has already moved on to another project, it's like there's a really famous uh, scene in Top Gun on an elevator where um, Tom Cruise and uh, Kelly McGillis are like flirting on the elevator and she's wearing a hat and he like even like makes a joke about her hat. Um, but the reason she's wearing a hat was because that was shot like six months after the movie had finished filming and she had already started in another film so she had to dye her hair. Right. So they just had to like put her in a hat to hide it. Um, Which I was actually kind of like, ah, if she has a different, in this movie, I'm like, if the actress has a different hairdo, put her in a hat because at least to me, like I notice that and then I get really bothered. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I so I wonder if there was not like more um, pressure or involvement from the studio that ended up making the the final cut of the film as like disingenuous as it was. Yeah. So I guess uh, let's get. I, I would say that before we like wrap up, I hope that now that you've seen this movie, like because this movie was so disappointing. If you have like some good friends that you can watch the 04 version with, it's act, it holds up very well, and I think you would. But I think you'd be okay to watch mm-hmm. it. Um, and I think like if you watched that after seeing this, you would e- even appreciate it more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be like, oh, I get it. <laughs> um, so, how many Bloody Marys would you give this movie? Oh God. Um, I would give this movie. A tequila sunrise made by a high schooler. Oof, oof, that's rough. That's real rough. I was like mad when I left the theater. No, that's I was, fair. I was also. I think it helped that I went in with like my. I had seen the articles about the cinema score review, so my expectations were like on mm-hmm. the ground low. And I think even with my low expectations and my nostalgia, I would give this movie like one Bloody Mary. That's like some like weak ass housemade sauce that's not zing zangs with like no spices or seasoning and definitely mm-hmm. no pickle juice. No olives. Yeah, just like very basic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and I just I felt like there was for me to have spent them money that movie tickets cost nowadays. Yeah, I'm that's like fair. I wish I would have spent this money on something decent. Something or at least else. it was at least if it was bad, that it would be entertaining. Like, there were times that I was struggling to stay awake. Like, it was just so boring and sure. so slow. And there was, like, nothing for me to hang on to. Um, which was hard because there's also a lot of people in it that I really like. So it was right. also hard for me to see them where I'm like, man, all these people in this great movie and it is just garbage. And I think, like, everyone in it is delivering really great performances considering that they're, like, not given a lot to do. Yeah. Um, I would say 
I actually liked how it ended very abruptly and just ended on like the a shot of outside the house with just like natural sound and you could like hear her scream. Mm-hmm. I liked that. Um, and it actually, I liked it, but it also disappointed me at the same time because I was like, well, that's kind of a cool, like, semi-original thought. Like, where was that the rest of this movie? Right. Yeah, I think, like, if you've seen other movies that Nicholas pa- Nicholas Pesh has directed, like, I think he just, like, has a really cool vision. And I think I had a little bit more, got a little bit more of that from this. But I agree with you that, like, as a whole, it's just, like, it's kind of like a sloppily put-together movie. I think there are, like, scenes that are shot really cool or that, like, look nice or shots that I appreciate that they added. But, like, overall, it's just kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. Um... So, speaking of things that are a mess, um, we're going to get, well, I can only speak for myself, I'm going to get real uh, emotional in an angry way for our in ladier news. Are you ready, Mm. Hannah? (laughs) I'm not drinking, but I'll do my best. Um, Well, I am (laughs) To prepare myself. You know that sometimes I get like a real fight in me when when I've been drinking, so I'll do my (laughs) best. But earlier this week, um, noted horror host Joe Bob Briggs wrote a review for Fangoria of Black Christmas. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because, frankly, I don't want to, like, dignify his review with, like, you having to listen to what he said. But I do want to, like, point out a couple things that he, said that he like, pointed to that were very infuriating to me. So I want to start out by saying he opens his review by saying, at this point, we're not supposed to talk about Black Christmas anymore. By which I assume he means that, like, he doesn't like people challenging his incorrect opinions on this movie, and so he thinks we're not allowed to talk about it. Um, he goes on to say that this movie um, was, like, some people have told him that maybe this movie wasn't for him, mm. which makes him assume that this movie is made for pre-adolescent girls, which means, like, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds who aren't even old enough to see this movie because it's PG-13. Um, Those are the only kind of people that exist besides him? Apparently. Um, Well, I think it's like I read it as sort of a way – like I don't think he meant this intentionally, but to me it's like I feel like it's pretty okay to say that this movie is maybe more directed towards women. But like yeah, a lot of research shows that like more than half of ticket sales in horror are women. So it's not like you're making a movie for a niche audience if it's Mm -hmm. not for dudes with dicks. Yeah. Um, so anyway, he goes on to make the argument that, like, this movie would have done better if it wasn't called Black Christmas, because, like, it doesn't feel like a Black Christmas movie, which, like, we don't even have to get into that, because it's stupid and wrong. Um, but, like, he really harps on the fact that, like, um, he is upset that they don't show the rape, which I think, like, you and I have feelings about. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and he's also upset that a lot of the, the deaths happen off off screen which like I think both of those things speak to like female creators choosing not to brutalize women on screen which is clearly like a very intentional choice and like I wonder what your feeling is of like a 60 plus year old white dude being like back in my day we would like I spit on your grave had a 40 minute rape scene like okay good for that movie like we don't need to do that anymore yeah um yeah I mean I remember when we talked about that episode uh, or when we talked when we did the episode where we talked about that movie um that was something that we talked about I know that there are people who have made films and tv shows that feature rape um, where they feel like it's important to show it for people to understand mm-hmm. how like brutal those situations are. Um, but I think you and I both kind of feel like, like I don't need to see it. Like, right? I understand that that's a bad situation. Um, and, and I think a lot because of times this it movie feels, is probably made for women, they're like women get it. Yeah, that's right. Like women that fear is very real and we don't need to be, we don't need to see it for it to feel real. Um, so to me, him saying like, I've been told this movie's not for me. And then complaining that not seeing the rape doesn't make the motivations of the main character real to him is like exactly proving that. Like, 
if this like yeah it sounds like this movie's not for you sir right and like clearly you didn't get it if this exactly. is like where you're coming at it from and he like he goes on to say and this like really made me upset for two reasons because I think this gets at like two very different points He's, he basically is upset that like the killer is a group and he says a group killer is no killer there's no antagonist which is like if you came out of this movie feeling like there's no antagonist I don't even know what movie you watched like the antagonist is like a really harmful system that like devalues women and their experiences and like allows yes. rape culture to continue. But then he goes Especially on, on college campuses. Right. But then he goes on to say, to like point out that for him, it's super unrealistic that like all of a sudden these like women turn into vigilantes who have like martial arts skills. And it's like, no, like the scene, I think we talked about this in our episode, like the scene where they're the, all the sorority girls show up and they're fighting the frat guys in their house is so effective because like they're just fighting with whatever they can find and eventually they get overpowered and it's like really horrifying and upsetting to watch because yeah. like that is what would happen <laughs> like it's it's just like I don't know so this whole review like made me infuriated my part like I read it and then I like read it out loud to my partner and we would like every sentence just like stop and either like laugh hysterically at how stupid this review is or like scream about how incorrect he just like gets basic plot points of the movie wrong mm-hmm. um where it's like were you even watching were you even paying attention or did you just like only give it 50 percent of your attention because you decided it wasn't for you right and he goes on and to then talk about, like, and then complain the about it just the same as if you had actually given right. it a chance and he goes on to complain about like the creative force behind the movie and he talks about Blumhouse who produced the movie but he never mentions Sophia to call or April Wolf by name the pe- the women who like wrote and directed this movie he just says repeatedly like and we know that like Blumhouse appreciates horror and that's who made the movie Ugh. Yeah, it's like, it is so egregious. Um, It's really, it's really terrible. So um, if you're a person out there, I doubt you're a listener of ours who like read Joe Bob's review and was like, I'm not going to watch the movie. But like, if that did happen for you, please still watch it. Like, I think, I think there's an argument to be had. And I think we had it on our podcast. Like, this is not a perfect movie by any stretch. But I think like, it is saying and doing important things. And I think a lot of the dialogue about it is like really Mm -hmm. reducing it to something that is like absolutely infuriating and offending to me yeah do you want to tell us what we're discussing next week so that you can uh, cheer us up a little bit um oh yeah okay so this one i think will be a fun one and i have not seen it since i watched it um probably when i was like 13 or 14 and it was on comedy central um in the afternoon so it was definitely, excuse me, I just burped. I hope that wasn't caught. It's <laughs> just had like a real pickly burp. Um, <laughs> sorry, sometimes I forget that's like not appropriate for uh, Oh, this it's meeting. fine. Um, <laughs> 28 days later, um, we let all our burps out here. Yeah, I mean, I farted earlier and wondered if my mic picked it up. So um, Your mic did not pick it up, but I am leaving that in. <laughs> Listen, I'm in the zone. I'm just letting it all fly. Dude, I think our all listeners know now. It's functions. fine. They, they get who you are. Um. So, anyway, um, I haven't seen it since it was on TV, and I was a lot younger, and it was definitely sanitized for television, I think. So, um, I think it should be a pretty fun watch. But we're going to watch um, the Denise Richards, my the newest and uh, one of my new favorite Real Housewives. Um, we're going to watch the Denise Richards vehicle, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Wow, I really love that you are... I have not seen this movie in a couple years, but I kind of love that you are classifying it as a Denise Richards vehicle when it has, like, so many people in it who are delightful. I know, but I've just really been um, thinking about her a lot and holding her in my heart recently because she's had some... Real uh, tough, tough stuff going on with her Real Housewives career, and she's okay. uh, like left the show, maybe quitting the show. 
Um, so I want to like celebrate her. Yeah. <laughs> I will, as someone who doesn't watch Real Housewives, take just a short moment to shout out that this movie also features Kirsten Dunst and Allison Janney and Kirstie Alley and Brittany Murphy, rest in peace, and Amy Adams. It is just like, this movie is one hell of a movie, um, and I am so glad you thought of it, because I think it'll be a really have fun you conversation. S- have you seen it recently? I have I have only seen it once in my whole life, and that was like two or three years ago. Okay, so it should still be... Oh, I'm going to watch it again. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm very excited. This movie is absolutely a, a joy. Ah, and it's a female writer, so... Yeah, I think we're going to have, like, a really good uh, conversation about it. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe I'll just just be just be angry and grumpy still about this movie. Oh, my goodness. Well, Or just I, to spite you. For your sake, I really hope that you let this movie go so that you can fully enjoy Drop Dead Gorgeous and also just, like, the rest of your week. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, I do what I can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Friends, please enjoy the rest of Wait, your week. Wait, you say the rest of my week, it is basically Friday. All right, Hannah, you don't just like <laughs> pe- let people peek behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'll have a good rest of my week, but next week... <laughs> all bets are off. But three days from now, fuck it all. <laughs> well, on that very uplifting note, everyone please enjoy <laughs> your upcoming weeks, and we will see you next weekend for brunch. Clink! Clink! <laughs>